Thank you very much, Irene and Holly. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you've given us the living Christ. You've given us the written word. We begin to look at a book in the New Testament. We want to be hearing what you have to say through your word, through the living Christ at work in us, through the spirit that you have given to us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As a believer in Christ, you desire to worship with believers in a local church. But the battle is continually present. Sports during service times, family activities, reunions during these times, work demands. There are the flea markets, the races, a host of other interesting items. Criticism when you say no to those items to worship corporately. You desire to guard your heart, your mind to think, to believe things that are true, honest, just, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. But you face evolution in the classroom. Anything goes in relation to sex on TV and with people you interact with. Criticism of the government on the radio and the TV. Sexual temptation on the internet and the media. A disregard of civil laws. Laughter because you're not up to date on the most recent news. As a believing wife, you face criticism from co-workers because you're seeking to have a gentle and a quiet spirit as you submit to your unbelieving husband. As a hard, sincere, honest employee, you're told to take it easy. Criticize the boss. You make the rest of us look bad by the way you work. You're laughed at because you don't participate in questionable stories. As a woman who desires to speak building words, you made a decision not to listen or to use cutting words. Frequently, you're told you're abnormal because you will not participate in gossip about others. How do you live well in a culture, in a society that is more and more against living with a passion to please God and Christ? This morning, we want to begin a study of a book of the Bible which addresses people who lived in a culture, in a society which was contrary to God's will for the elect, contrary to God's will for his children. And that book is going to be First Peter. And we want to read just a few passages from First Peter to get a feel for the book. And we more and more live in a culture that does not acknowledge God. We more and more face some criticism just as we seek to live well. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and again, we're just reading several portions of Scripture. 
Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Look at chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of our God? Just a few passages from 1 Peter. Obviously, 1 Peter was written by Peter. And we may say, why is it important to know an author? Well, for the same reason that when you get a letter, is it from a parent? Is it from a child? Or is it from a lawyer concerning a legal matter? Or is it a fine or a letter concerning a fine? No, who's the author? Who wrote it? Peter is the author. And according to the four gospels, Peter was a spokesman for the early disciples. Peter's original name Hebrew name was Simeon. James calls Peter by this name in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. 
The only New Testament usage of Simeon is in 2 Peter 1.1, and this is in King James. The Greek name Simon, however, is applied to Peter over and over again. Peter had a third name, Cephas, is a Greek transliteration of the Aramaic word for rock, and ties in with Peter, Petros. So the New Testament has four names for Peter, but often called Peter or Simon Peter. Simon was one of the first disciples called into service of Jesus. He was a fisherman, but from Bethsaida. Peter had a home in Capernaum, which is about five kilometers west of Bethsaida in Galilee. Peter was married. He took his wife on journeys when he traveled for Christ. His strong North Country accent marked him as a Galilean. And doubtless, he was influenced by the preaching of John the Baptist, along with his brother Andrew. And Andrew was the one who introduced Peter to Jesus. Now, the text in 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you know, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he says, to God's elect strangers in the world. Now, keep in mind that when we read 1 Peter, we're reading someone else's mail. It wasn't addressed to us. It was addressed to people in a certain area of the world, and he mentions a number of locations scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and some of those locations where Bithynia, Cappadocia, Asia is mentioned. So this area is where Peter is writing to believers, and Peter calls them to God's elect. And I'll comment more on this, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. Maybe sometimes we ought to stop referring to believers and say God's elect. He's writing to God's elect. Peter may have evangelized, it's not known for sure, in the northern region of Asia Minor, while Paul was ministering in the southern and western regions of Asia Minor. It's possible also that Silas may have been involved in ministering in this area. And again, there's not definites. We don't know for certain. But as you read the letter, we know that one thing stands out. It's that the Christian congregation here, God's elect here, were beginning to know what it was like to live in a hostile environment where other people make it tough for them just because they were Christians. They needed help to cope with how to live in a hostile environment. Not from the government, but just from other people. From other information that we find at a later date, we know that the general area here was perhaps more prone to attacks on Christians than some other areas. What Christians, what God's elect here, had to fear was more in the nature of being socially pushed aside, being socially rejected, 
unfriendly acts by neighbors, pressure on Christian wives from pagan husbands, masters taking it out on Christian slaves, and other actions of that type. It was sufficient in any case to make life uncomfortable. So Peter writes to encourage to give some guidance. And as you read the text and do a little research in the background, apparently the people to whom Peter is writing was a mixed group of people. Slaves are addressed, but nothing is said to masters. We don't know how many masters were there. Instructions are given to wives in some detail. Less is said to husbands. The readers appear or hearers appear to have been converts from some pretty tough backgrounds. And because of their Christian faith, they're being God's elect, they're walking with God, they're being marginalized by society, alienated in their relationships, threatened with and if not experience any loss of honor and socio-economic standing, and maybe even worse. And as we think about the culture in which we live in America, we to this point have basically had a degree of favor as it relates to walking with God and living out our faith. Our culture is changing a great deal. And we do not have the same favor that we may have at one time. And keep in mind that the people to whom Peter is writing, it was not governmental intervention. It was people in general. You know, the neighbors, co-workers, and so on. When was it first Peter written? Well, you say, why is the when important? For the same reason, suppose you get a letter in the mail and it says, you're being fined for speeding on Route 11 on such and such a date. And you think, I wasn't even in Pennsylvania on such and such a date. We were on vacation in Virginia for two weeks. See, date has an impact. It was probably written from Rome before Nero's great persecution, because there's no mention of Nero's persecution probably written sometime between 62 and 64 A.D. Uh, Nero's persecution is not mentioned at all. It just seems to be trials that come along the way. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. It may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In chapter 3, he talks about some persecution they were going through. And again, it doesn't seem to be from the government. It's just from living out their faith day by day. In chapter 4, we read earlier, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It was probably written... The end of the chapter, or end of the book, it talks about Babylon. It seems to be a code word for Rome, and most 
Scholars would think it was written from Rome and Babylon being used as a code word. As we think about this book overall, we know it was written to God's elect who were strangers in the world. And they were living in a hostile environment. And in that context, just giving a brief overview of some words that are being used, and frequently used words do have an impact. <coughs> Ruth Ann and I, when uh, we went away for a couple of days on our anniversary, I think it was last year, if I remember correctly, took our love letters along, wrote, most of them being written by Ruth Ann. I wrote some. She wrote quite often. I wrote once in a while. But I found it interesting as we read them, there's certain words that Ruth Ann repeated. And I'll say she repeated more than I repeated because she wrote more over and over again. And after each letter, I got the idea, you know, I'm a pretty good guy in Ruth Ann's eyes because she called me nice and gentle and kind and some other words that I won't repeat. So words that are used frequently communicate a message. See, she didn't say, dear Dan, like everyone opened with, dearest Dan. Now that puts me in a different spot. And as Peter writes, he uses God and Lord repeatedly. I'm just going to read a couple of verses where God and Lord are used. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Since you call on a father, a reference to God, so God is a father. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. <coughs> well, 2 and 3. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. God is good. Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to king as supreme or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Submission, he says, to the governmental authorities is for the Lord's sake. Look at chapter 3 and verse 4. Writing to Weiss, he says, it should be that of your gentle or your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and great Gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. God values a gentle and a quiet spirit. Look at chapter 4 and verse 19. Again, God being used. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Apparently, the suffering they were going through because of the society in which they lived was according to God's will. Look at chapter 5 and verse 5. 
and 6. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, what's he do? He opposes the proud. You find also throughout the book that Jesus Christ and Christ are used quite often. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. These things have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So future to First Peter being written, Christ is going to be revealed. Look at chapter 1 and verse 19 in relation to Christ. Well, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Precious blood of Christ. He's a lamb without blemish, without defect. Chapter 2 and verse 5. We find that Peter says, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering acceptable or spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ spiritual sacrifices can be offered. And we could look at other passages. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 2. Talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He's mentioned in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. In chapter 3 and verse 18. Chapter 4 and verse 14. If we were to stop there, one thing comes through loud and clear. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, take the action. The readers to whom Peter is writing, the hearers, responded to action on the part of God, on the part of Christ, on the part of the Holy Spirit. We find that suffer and suffering is mentioned frequently in all five chapters of 1 Peter. These people were suffering. It seemed to be part of their life. In chapter 1 and verse 7, or verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In chapter 3 and verse 14, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. You ever think about suffering as being blessed? When you... Or suffering for Christ. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore since Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body. Is done with sin. And other passages talk about suffering. You find submission. And submit is used. In chapter 2. Verses 13 and 18. Chapter 3 1. 
and verse 5 and verse 22, chapter 5 and verse 5. Submission seems to be also central. Way of life. He's talking about a pattern of life. Do you ever hear someone say about another person, well, that's just the way they are? Peter is basically saying, live in such a way that people can say about you, that's just the way you are. You have a lifestyle. And he's encouraging them to a good lifestyle as they're facing difficulty and going through some persecution. Again, not from the government, but from the culture over awe. The word good is used a number of times in the context of First Peter. And good. Live accordingly. Strangers is used twice. And it seems to be a pretty strong emphasis. In verse 1 of chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Peter, in essence, is saying, I'm writing to you, you're God's elect, but understand, you're strangers. You're not at home here. You're unfamiliar with this. I remember very distinctly... First time Ruth and I went to Ghana, West Africa. You get off the plane, and number one, it's hot. 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 And then you try to, you know, get into the country, you know, you through the process that you have to, to be in Ghana. You think they don't do it around here like they do in the U.S., And then you hear these people talking. They don't make sense because they're not speaking the language. We get out in the countryside and we're going to go a few miles and we think roads around here are bad. They're good. Even the one through Sweet Valley, I realize they paved it now, I think, or at least parts of it. But you were dodging potholes. And there were points in time for months in the rainy season, you couldn't even go on certain roads. And we think, boy, this is strange. We were strangers in Africa. Peter is saying to the people to whom he's writing, you're strangers. You live on the earth, but you're living by a different set of rules, if you say. You're strangers. You're aliens. We find revealed is used quite often in a very strong sense as it particularly relates to Christ. Christ being revealed, God's, or Christ's glory being revealed. Where would we be if God had not revealed himself? If Christ had not revealed himself? Salvation is used, Savior, a number of times. And then glory and praise is also used. Now, as you take all those words and kind of fit it together, I'm going to give you a summary. And this is a long sentence, I understand. The overall thrust that should be thrust 
of 1 Peter can be summed up from the key words as God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit have revealed themselves so that sinners may experience salvation, living a life of submission while suffering as strangers on this earth due to Christ's glory. And glory that will be revealed later. I think that's the overall thrust of 1 Peter. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit have revealed themselves. They have uncovered themselves so that sinners may experience salvation, living a lifestyle submission while suffering as strangers on this earth due to Christ's glory. And I emphasize that the suffering was not coming from the government. It was coming from people in the daily life of those to whom Peter is writing. Our culture, our society here in the U.S. is much more hostile and resistant to God's elect living in submission to Christ than even 30 years ago. We shouldn't be surprised we, shouldn't, we should make it our passion to live holy lives day by day. We can expect resistance, misunderstanding, and rejection. Accept it. Peter encourages his hearers to live well. Not to try to change what was happening to them, but to live well in that culture. So before we close the service with a song, think about the world in which we currently live. Sometimes we say, let's get people to come to church. And we can invite them and try to get them interested That stands in contrast to our living lives where people ask questions and say, can I come to worship with you because I want to know more about what you people believe because I've observed your life? Or contrast, you're attempting to share Christ with someone and they're somewhat of a resistant hearer versus a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member, or a student asking a question. Why do you have this view on a political issue? Why don't you use cutting words? Why do you work hard on the job rather than taking the easy route? That's where Peter's coming from. Live good lives in your day-by-day living. And let God open doors. Living well in Christ's power, experiencing Christ, and then sharing how Christ is at work in our lives. Just speaking of our experience with Christ. Recently, someone made a comment to me about someone living and how they responded and were responding. And their statement was coming from, I've observed this believer. I've observed this person who is God's elect and how they have lived. Now I got a question. 
I got a comment. That's where Peter's coming from. Live well. Where you are. For God's glory. And we'll see what else Peter has to say as we continue next week. Let's sing together to be God's people in this world. Travis?